my my little group of friends in high school and I we created our own pirate ship. Spoiler alert, all of these people are now queer. <laughs> called we called our pirate ship the tie-dyed porpoise. And we made a flag and we made t-shirts that were a rainbow tie-dyed Jolly Roger. Welcome, everyone, to Random Fandom, the show where each episode we talk about a new fandom. I'm Britt Kelly. I'm a lecturer at UC Davis. I am Stephanie Weaver. I'm a... I don't know what I am right now. Um, I'm a professional writer in various capacities. That's what I am right now. And this episode, we have a guest with us. Dr. Elliot Tatro. So if you would like to introduce yourself, Elliot. Sure. Hi, I'm Elliot Tatro. I am an assistant professor of English at SUNY Albany. Nice. Welcome. And today we're going to be talking about our flag means death. Stephanie, do you have a tagline prepared for us for this particular episode? Oh man, our flag means death. Where historical piracy is done by music theater nerds oh i love it <laughs> i actually think it that 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 tracks that definitely tracks i had not thought yeah. about it that way but i yeah perfect awesome well let's let's take some time to talk about what our flag means death is for our listeners who are not familiar with that so we'll actually start with stephanie because you just watched the show right yeah, I actually just finished watching the first season yesterday in preparation for this. Hooray. Uh, quick, quick spoiler alert. There will be spoilers. We're not going to not talk about things. Oh, if yeah. you haven't watched it yet, just go watch it. It's so good. Yeah, good call. So I actually was one of those viewers who started watching it back when it was the episodes were still coming out. Oh, and wow. I was watching okay. it pretty regularly. And then something happened from one week to the next and I just fell off and hadn't gotten back on the wagon until yesterday. In terms of thinking like so the the show is about Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate who was an actual historical figure and Edward Teach or Blackbeard who was also an actual historical figure who probably did have some kind of relationship of some type. They at least knew of each other during their time. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there's a level of music theater camp laid over <laughs> the whole thing. So like the sets feel very stagey and the interactions or obstacles the characters face are very slapstick comedy-esque sometimes. So it's a really interesting take on these historical figures. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you were to like boil down your view, your recent viewing experience into like one statement, what's sort of your main reaction to this viewing? You think it's going to be fun and then it rips your guts out. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. Okay, cool. Thanks. So we were going to see, I guess we can keep talking a little bit about sort of what it is. So Stephanie gave us a nice introduction as here's me just having watched it. Elliot, if you want to add a few things maybe to that to let our listeners know sort of what is this show and then we can move on. Sure. Um, I totally agree. It is by and for theater queers. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so Our Flag is an HBO Max show created by David Jenkins. It's a historical but very anachronistic romantic comedy about the relationship between Steed and Blackbeard at its center, but also with a very queer cast of misfit pirates. Has a lot to say about community and outcast status. And yeah, stars Reese Darby as Steed and Taika Waititi as Blackbeard, along with many other great actors. It's also executive produced by Taika. And yeah, aired in um, March 2022, originally, was just just wrapped filming for season two. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. <laughs> well, see, yeah, there is I there's a whole panic about whether it would be renewed or not, but hopefully we'll see season two sometime in 2023. Yeah. I just want them to do it now, but I know they have to do like editing and whatever. Boring it editing. <laughs> yeah. So also just to give like listeners a sense of sort of the Again, definitely going to have spoilers this episode, but sort of the the arc of the show is that Steve Bonnet, and we'll talk about the fact that he was an actual real person, and this is something he actually really did, is an aristocrat from Barbados who decides that he is done with his life and he abandons his wife and children in his lap of leisure, I guess, and builds a pirate ship gains a crew and becomes a pirate sort of (laughs) in his I guess middle age uh the way the show represents it at some point he ends up drawing the attention of Blackbeard who is this renowned pirate and eventually they they start shipping together and through their experiences of together yeah they're shipping (laughs) and yes the show does make that obvious the show is not playing with our heartstrings it is they are actually falling in love yeah so through the course of blackbeard teaching steed how to pirate and steed teaching blackbeard how to aristocrat they fall in love and then the show ends on a will they they get separated basically (laughs) will they get back together again what will happen so we're all very interested to see what happens next but that's sort of the general arc of the show is you have this aristocrat non-pirate deciding to become a pirate and a true pirate teaching him how to do that and in the process I guess kind of being softened (laughs) I don't want to say softened up because now that I've after I said shipping together I'm just realizing everything I'm saying is going to be taken into an incredibly sexualized context. <laughs> just roll yeah. with it. It's a fan. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, I should just roll with it. Do Do either of you happen to know if Reese Darby and Taika Waititi have done anything together before? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, so they know ton. each other. I rewatched because this is how my brain does things. I'm like, oh, research. I can watch Flight of the Concords on HBO as well. So the other night, I didn't watch the entire show, but I watched pretty much the majority of the first season. And there was an episode that Taika directed and in the episode he's in the background as a character on New Zealand TV 
that one of the characters' moms, Brett's mom, sent him like bootleg oh, copies. Um, the dragon? No, I don't think no, he's the dragon. The, yeah, but I remember. No. It. Yeah, she's yeah. like videotaped New Zealand TV yeah. to like send to them. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering and, because I I knew Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords, but yes. I didn't realize that Taika had worked on that show. So yeah, so I think it was just that one episode. I know they met in college because I went down a rabbit hole of reading Wikipedia pages. And that's just who I am as a person. As all um, good fans do. But also like my other sense is that like if you're from New Zealand and you just know everyone else in New Zealand, like that's not a hundred percent true, but like, it does seem like all of the actors from New Zealand all know each other. It's not, it's not huge, a huge community, but yeah, they did that together. I don't know if there's anything else. Oh, nope. I think Reese Darby was in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. As yeah, well, he's, Anton, a, the he's the werewolf. Yeah, and he's oh, like, that's right, he Tyka's... is, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, he's, okay. They're always talking right. about their feelings and supporting each other. So I feel like Murray doesn't do that, but Murray is like the character. So he's he's like their agent in Flight of the Concords. He's the character who doesn't really know what he's doing by becoming a band agent, and then Anton and what we do in the shadows is this like let's all talk it through and be supportive of each, of each other as as uh, werewolves and so there's some interesting parallels between previous characters and this show for sure so yeah so why don't we uh Stephanie certainly recently watched it but as our resident expert on our flag means death and our flag means death fandom this this episode Talk us through a little bit, Elliot, if you can, about your kind of first experience with the show and and what it meant to you in that experience. Sure. Yeah. By the way, thank you so much for having me here as your resident art flag expert. I feel like this is now what I want to make my whole like professional identity. You gotta, this is, you like, gotta more yeah. new business cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah just that's like, on your CV now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So let's see. So yeah, basically my story of like encountering our flag and, and watching it for the first time, like is like a, a very big, like that escalated quickly <laughs> narrative because <laughs> it pretty much started with, oh, silly pirate show. Sounds fun, I guess. And then became a gender crisis. <laughs> so and I know we're going to talk more specifically about all the gender feels that the show evokes in a lot of people, myself included. But yeah, just, I guess, just, just to start, I mean, I first heard of Our Flag through my wife, Emily. It had all aired at that point. I think that I didn't watch it until like April 2022. So like kind of right after it had, you know, all come out um, and then uh, come out. Uh-huh. But uh. um <laughs> So then, yeah, Emily was just like, oh, I heard about this show. I heard that it's funny and pirates. I have a longstanding pirate obsession as well. So she was like, yeah, we should watch it. So yeah, then we did. She likes to watch shows like infuriatingly slowly. So it took like a month. <laughs> and yeah, at first I was just, oh, this is fun. Like, this is funny. And I like the characters and I knew like, 
she had told me that like the show was queer, but I didn't read any spoilers. Or I didn't read anything about it. So I didn't know how queer it was. Um, I didn't even know about the, that they were going to go there with Steve and Blackbeard. So for like when Jim appeared, I was, oh, Jim is like the queerness in the show. Like that's cool. A non-binary main character. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. There'll be like some queer characters in the show. And then the more I watched it, I was like, wow, this thing is all queer. Yeah. Um, and I had been having a slow simmering um, process of gender questioning for a really long time that the show like, you know, it, it definitely was not like the main factor, but it was in the mix with a lot of gender feels. So yeah, that's kind of how how I first encountered it. I mean, you can you can be honest, just like everyone else <laughs> on the Twitter fandom that the show made you even more trans or made you realize you were trans. <laughs> I saw a lot of comments on the, the, the Twitter, the Twitter. I sound like I'm a million years old on Twitter from, from tra- particularly like trans masks folks who are like super into it and uh, non-binary folks as well who were like, yeah, this show made me even more trans <laughs> than, than I knew that I could be um, in a wonderful way. So thank you. Our flag means stuff. Yeah. I, I, I was similarly like didn't really know anything about this. Uh, I think Matt was a little annoyed. Matt is my my spouse, by the way, for those people who aren't aware of who that person is. <laughs> yeah, I was saying like, oh yeah, like I don't, I remember Zoe telling me about that. And he was like, I told you about it. I, I read on tour that it was gay and you <laughs> revisionist history to me and, and told me that that's not how you learned about it. But I had like a similar thing where I'd heard that it had some queer tones. And when I saw Jim as a character, I was like, oh, there it is. And then of course, Lucius and and Black Pete have this uh, relationship with each other, but I was not at all prepared for, and maybe I should have been because Taika Waititi has been sort of pulling in more and more gay stuff across his stuff. Um, He's brought, I think, a nice level of gayness to the Thor movies, for sure, that he's directed, which was much needed. But I just wasn't prepared for it to be an actual romance between two men and just have queerness being soaking into the show. I I think I had a very different experience as a viewer because I was watching it when it first came out before it got super gay. (laughs) And so for me, the the first appeal was honestly like Reese Darby. I think he's delightful and, and Taika Waititi and that I really appreciate the way that like Taika Waititi presents a wide variety of kinds of masculinity and especially some really interesting alternatives to toxic masculinity in his texts. So I was like, I'm, I'm really into pirate stuff. I'm really into like this kind of dark comedy and I'm really into this kind of like playing with masculinity. So mm-hmm. I was like there and then the Actually, I think one of the last episodes I watched before I dropped it for a while was the one where Lucius and Black Pete kiss. And uh, it was like, oh, okay, like this is getting really gay. That's cool. And then somehow just like dropped off. And then when I come back, everybody is like, this is the show that will make you trans. I'm I'm still cisgendered. I'm afraid to say, but oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> I can't get everyone. <laughs> yeah. So I I think it's really interesting that they they kind of like 
the way that things ramp up in the show is kind of like they they lure you in i think with a certain amount of like oh this is comedy this is supposed to be like a kind of send up with some like little bits of queerness there in the beginning and then mm-hmm. it just ramps up as the show goes on yeah um in a kind of interesting way i think for uh viewers who maybe weren't going out and looking for something super gay to watch yeah, so I'll I'll say I actually put off watching it because I apparently am the only one of the three of us who did not have much interest in pirates. Like Pirates of the Caribbean was a thing. And I was like, I guess this is fun. But I mostly went and saw those movies with friends who really wanted to see them. So I never had any kind of pirate interest. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to find it that funny. Uh, like I like the sea, but I'm not into like I don't know, stories about shipboard life. Yeah, so, but but I also will say too, like, I don't think I was aware in my mind that it was a queer show. This is also why Matt thinks it's revisionist history because I was like, oh, apparently it's just really funny. And then it was, and I, I knew of Taika Waititi and then once I realized he was in on it, I was like, yeah, he's funny. So I will watch this. I think actually, so there's a lot of gender feelings. I think maybe where we could start instead though is by talking about, some of our favorite characters because I feel like that will lead to some of the other themes that were like really important to us as we were watching the show so Elliot if you could take it away and talk about who your favorite character is and why that would be great sure um well I to start I love every single character which is I think one of the great things about the show um but my favorite character is definitely Ed um I love him so much I, um, speaking of gender, also, like, definitely get the most gender envy feels from Ed, which is also, I mean, like, every trans mask wants to be Taika Waititi and, like, yeah, cries that's very, about how there's, like... That's very common <laughs> in the no fandom. <laughs> and, like, we all cry that there's no amount of testosterone in the world that will make us look like Taika. <laughs> um yeah. So, yeah, I'm actually like falling in love with him a little bit, I think, um, as Blackbeard. And I'm like this, I don't know. I mean, he is an extraordinarily good looking person. We'll just say that. Um, and then, yeah, all the gender feels uh, as Blackbeard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. But even aside from gender feels um, or inclusive of gender feels, I guess, mm-hmm. I really love Ed as a character. I love like how he's written and how he's performed. Um I think like he's really complex and nuanced. Um, I've uh, one of my favorite sort of like fandom interpretations is like Ed has having ADHD and Steed as autistic, and as a you know person with ADHD married to an autistic person that resonates with me a lot. Um, so I really like Ed's like um, how he's represented as like brilliant. Um, but also bored um, and like kind of hyperactive, but also, you know, kind of sort of quick to like give up because like he's sort of just tired of things. Um, And I think that, you know, how he's written as sort of like, he's like at the top of his game, like he's Blackbeard, he's like universally feared and respected, but he's just bored and he like, he wants to do something else. I think is a really interesting sort of premise for his character. Mm. Um, And I really like um, how he's kind of, I don't know. I feel like I like everything about Ed, so it's hard to like pick things. Um, (laughs) 
um yeah I don't know I guess that that would be my overall like why I like Ed and then I guess I have some more like examples okay cool cool Stephanie any thoughts on favorite characters just coming yeah. off of your first watch um so I think that um this reading of Ed as having ADHD makes a lot of sense to me as someone who also has ADHD um and I, that actually maybe explains why I felt a certain amount of like affection and connection to Ed. Um, but also it's like somebody who's like got a lot of feelings and is trying to figure out like what to do with those feelings that isn't just stabbing people. Um, <laughs> not that I stab a lot of people, <laughs> but I do struggle with figuring out like, um, what do I do with all of these feelings I have um one of the interesting things about this show uh, as a like cis woman watching it is there's not a whole lot of cis women to like connect with um so I've ended up not that like people are required to pick favorite characters based on like gender and sexuality and yada 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 but um I in the last couple of episodes found myself really rooting for steed's wife mary yeah um as this woman who was forced into this marriage that was an incredibly unhappy one and it's not really like anybody's fault that it was unhappy they were just two really incompatible people mm -hmm. who it, ended up stuck together and then after steed is gone she manages to like build this life that she really loves and is incredibly unapologetic about it like mm -hmm. she she actually you know owns up to the fact that she's happy he's dead and i i find that really refreshing to have um a woman just flat without being treated as a villain to flat out yeah. say my life is better without this man in it so I really liked her character um in those last couple of episodes and I really liked the the way that she and Steed kind of acknowledged that they were very bad for each other mm -hmm. um, and that it wasn't anybody's fault and how they were both really happy for each other to find someone that was a good person for them and that kind of ending of that relationship was something that made me really happy. So, yeah, I feel yeah. like Mary, the depiction of Mary really, I mean, there's so much about this show that it, it queers masculinity and it, <laughs> I guess it brings the queerness of, of pirates to the forefront. And with Mary, you find this like queering of the, the abandoned 18th century wife. Like she could so easily just be a blip on the radar, a stereotype of the wife pining away or being horrified or, or very proper or, you know, having no agency. And instead she's shown as someone who is like, I will do the proper thing if I have to, but this is a life I've built for myself and I'm not going to apologize to anyone, which is really great. I also love that you could maybe see, I feel like in the past and in other fandoms, if you have a similar kind of dynamic between characters, you could easily see her being turned into like the shrew character. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't seen that in the fandom either. Like, I think she seems to be pretty universally well-liked and, and, you know, 
and there are certain sort of imaginations of Steed and Mary later on that imagine him coming back to visit Mary and his children and and she gets to know his crew and Blackbeard and and is just a, like a lovely presence in their lives and I I think it's lovely to see both in the show and in the fandom the ways in which Mary is kind of allowed to be an actual human being instead of just just like a figure of femininity or whatever. And one of the other things I really appreciate about the way that Mary is treated in those last couple of episodes is the man that she chooses as her lover isn't like completely different from Steed. Like Doug is also a very kind, gentle person who's like her painting instructor and is good with the children and is very supportive of Mary. And it's like so often women especially in that situation it's like I didn't want the wimpy little guy in the silk gown I wanted a real man and that's not what's done here what's 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 done is that we see Mary finding a man who is just like really shares her interests I guess in a way that Steve never was able to like Mm -hmm. they have a, a shared something that (laughs) makes them connect in a way that she and steed were never able to without doug being the like antithesis of steed yeah there's a really lovely like sort of representation of like healthy relationships i mean Mm -hmm. david jenkins makes this a scene and i think i saw this on twitter so i'm definitely stealing this from someone on twitter but i definitely agree that by him sort of saying like you know when when steed asks mary you know how do you know when you're in love or what is being in love like and she says it's easy it's like breathing and i'm like this is such a wonderful healthy representation of what a good relationship should be and like obviously she tries to kill steed by sticking a needle in his ear so there's not like a hundred percent a healthy relationship but they do end up having that like agreement that this isn't working out and we should end things so yeah yeah and then that whole that whole sort of like speech about like how she knows is like how he realizes that he's in love with ed and then we get that perfect like montage of their relationship and that's one of the moments that like i don't know like why i came to love the show too is that like the whole show seems like fan fiction but it's like (laughs) it's just fine it's finally real this time like what so like a lot of people have said like that like montage of like Mary talking about like what love is and then Steed realizing like that's what's happening with Ed and we get all the flashbacks with with him and Ed like people have been like how is that not like a fan edit how is that a real scene in a real (laughs) show yeah it does it does really like remind me of a fan edit but it actually is canon it's such a lovely moment and I also love to in that realization that he's in love with Ed they don't they just don't do any hand-wringing there's none of this like oh my god I might be in love with a man like nobody cares Mary doesn't care the important thing is that he's in love and he's found his person and that's it. They just leave it at that, which is also really, really lovely aspect of the show. Yeah. So I'm actually a really big fan of Steed. I I don't, I can't precisely put my finger on exactly why I really resonate. I feel like Steed resonates with me the most. Like I, I definitely find Ed to be a really intriguing character he's an interesting representation of life with ADHD where you're like not diagnosed (laughs) and not 
uh, there's no treatment that's happened in your life whatsoever. I can definitely resonate with that to a certain degree. But for whatever reason, there's something about Steve's like combination of his sense of wonder with the world and like confidence going into things and not being afraid to fail at stuff and just keep trying. I really, really love that. And I think for me, that's more of like, I don't resonate with it, but I want to, like, I wish I could approach the world that way instead of with just lots of anxiety, which is how I actually approach the world. And yeah, I actually really love his sort of soft, open, empathetic, emotional version of masculinity, which is not really a version of masculinity that I think any of us really have ever been kind of offered as like, this is also masculinity. And so I really kind of enjoy that element of him. I feel like for me, it's, it's, whereas all the trans mask folks I follow on Twitter were like, it was Ed, I want to be Ed. I feel like I'm like, I never thought about masculinity as being a part of my identity as a non-binary person in really any kind of direct way. And I, I sort of, the way I kind of tend to feel about non-binariness is like, in my brain, gender doesn't really make sense in the way that it's ever been described. Like I understand it because I've been taught it and like tested on it <laughs> functionally in a number of cases. But I feel like Steed was the first time where I thought, yeah, like if I were to embrace masculinity, this would be kind of the masculinity I would want to embrace. It sort of makes me think of uh, Maya Kobabe, who wrote, what was it, Gender Queer? I love that book. It was something I really dived into this summer. And they talk about their love for Johnny Weir and finally <laughs> finding ways to dress like Johnny Weir, who is, by the way, a cis male gay figure skater who has a flair. Uh, that's what I understand from that. I feel like Steed is very reminiscent of that element as well. So there's something about like the possibility for expressing and embodying masculinity that I really find like intriguing and also just this ability to be very like just filled with wonder when it comes to engaging with the world that I wish I could inhabit so as you're talking about this I'm thinking about because I just watched it yesterday the episode where Steed is is trying to stave off Ed's boredom by taking them on a treasure hunt yeah. And Steed <laughs> finds this like super rare butterfly and he's like standing there holding it on his finger, just like waxing about how beautiful and rare and amazing it is. They have found this thing. And I, I think maybe <laughs> I do resonate with Steed quite a bit in that kind of like childlike wonder about the world and I I remember like that scene in particular I was like oh that is a really amazing butterfly isn't it Steve <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah I I do actually love that because everyone else is like it's a bug <laughs> Steve yeah. is like oh but it's not just any bug um yeah. so yeah it's a really lovely lovely scene I yeah I mean I think you said earlier like not that you have to choose favorite characters based on gender identity because like I feel like certainly there are a lot of aspects that I love about Jim as a character I my favorite part really about Jim not just is that seeing a non-binary character but also that Jim is played by a non-binary actor Vico Ortiz who is super awesome and very engaged with the fandom and whose haircut I would love to have and also I guess they're a drag king and I saw a picture of them with a full beard the other day and I was like, I want 
that beard really badly. But yeah, so you would think like uh, that that would be like my character. Maybe you would think that, but for some, I think there's sort of the, a sharpness to to that character that I I don't necessarily identify with as much or would want to identify with quite as much as I do with Steed. I feel like with favorite characters, there's always the like, there's the character that you relate to because it's the character you are. And then there's the character <laughs> that you want to be. And yeah. I think Jim might be the character I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I ne- like I'm never gonna I'm never gonna be that badass. I don't know if I'm any of these. I don't because I'm not Steed. I might be Olawande. <laughs> Just sort of like actually holding things together in the background. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So we've talked about some favorite characters and a lot of things have come out. Let's, I think obviously we've gender feelings have come up a lot, but let's go to that. Cause I feel like that's such a huge key element of the show. And I actually took the term gender feelings actually from uh, my inner, my sort of preparation interview with Elliot. <laughs> so yeah, maybe I'll, I'll have you kind of start Elliot talking about the gender feelings of the show that really like appealed to you as you were watching and that as you put it contributed to a developing gender crisis <laughs> yeah um I think yeah when we talked before I also described our flag as a buffet of queer masculinities yeah. and I think that um, that should be their new tagline like... for the show by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> tagline yeah you heard it here first, David Jenkins. <laughs> but yeah, I think that pretty much just says it like it's and like, you know, we've been talking about already, like the way that the show represents so many different forms of masculinity, specifically queer masculinities is something that like I've never seen before on that level or like to that extent. And mm-hmm. I think I've seen David Jenkins before, you know, say like on Twitter and in interviews and stuff that part of the whole, you know, sort of genesis of the show and what he wanted to explore with it is how like a lot of what we're told about like being a man or being masculine is wrong. So I think the show, like part of its overall kind of like thesis or question is like deconstructing masculinities and doing it like sort of through all these directions represented by the different characters and their storylines. So like seeing that at a time when I've been having like a slow simmering gender something for a really long time. And then I kind of had this like, you know, sort of very, very slow and then all at once (laughs) transing of my gender uh, around at the time of our flag. So, you know, right, like sort of when I started watching it, like I've been doing things like you know, increasingly like having panic attacks in dressing rooms and, you know, for like, you know, at least a year had had done stuff like, you know, get drunk and change my pronouns in my email signature and then wake up and <laughs> panic and change it back before anyone saw. So like I was having a lot of, you know, like I am not, I don't think I'm a cis woman uh, anymore if I ever was, but I don't know what to do about that or what I am. And mm. um, I think just like sort of seeing that, you know, the way that the show deals with masculinity sort of like opened you know a lot of stuff that I had sort of pushed down because I was like yeah I feel like I it had never like really occurred to me that I might 
be a guy <laughs> before, despite having like a lot of dysphoria and having like always had this really specific envy of like a lot of queer men specifically. But it really never occurred to me because I was like, well, I'm I'm not masculine. Like I'm not stereotypically masculine like in any way. And like I don't like any like masculine things in terms of like what society codes that way. So I it just mm -hmm. like truly never occurred to me. And at the time of watching our flag, I was like, I think I'm not this, I'm not sure like how I'll end up identifying and so then I was kind of like, I don't know. Um, and then like a, a couple of months, I think after first watching it with all that stuff going on in the mix, I eventually did come out as just like some kind of trans still, you know, unsure TBD, but with trans masculine, like definitely in the mix. And yeah, now I'm a trans man, six months on testosterone. So, <laughs> uh, you know, watch a pirate show and you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that's really interesting kind of to hear how that show kind of came at the right moment, really, is what it sounds like. And I feel like having dove into the Twitter fandom a bit, it seems like that's a really common experience. I think maybe it's certainly the show we deserved and the show that we needed to see it, just in general, whether we are queer identifying or not in any kind of capacity. But I love the way you talk about, because this is sort of the way I was talking about Steed as well, like not really thinking that it was possible for you to be a man because you didn't identify with the things that had been previously presented as masculine. Like this make this sort of takes me back to like, I, I don't know, I, I came out as non-binary and I, I feel like certain family members were like, but, but what? And I look back at things now though, like my period in high school where I was like, I'm a butch lesbian and <laughs> and but then being like I really like this look but I and I, I don't know how to fix cars right and so like I'm not gonna beat someone up or whatever kind of like that sort of sense of like there particularly when we were all coming of age in like the late 90s early 2000s of like there just being very limited possibilities for what gender was or could be so I feel like the show really opens that up in some ways that I feel like are really wonderful and lovely and I, so important to have in the public awareness, public consciousness, for sure. So Ed seems to me to be, from looking at the fandom and talking to you, like he's kind of the one that's like the gender envy character. Like, could you talk a little bit about like, why, why is Ed sort of the gender envy hero I don't know if hero is quite the right word but the the, the <laughs> sort of focus of gender envy for so many folks what is it about the way that he like enacts and embodies gender that's so appealing yeah that's a good question like Ed Peach champion of the trans masks <laughs> um, <laughs> which I that's one something I'm like if the real Blackbeard could ever see into the future what would he think about this <laughs> but um I think yeah it's something that's like I it's I kind of have a hard time like putting my finger on exactly what it is but I think a big part of it is how Ed he's sort of like almost at first glance as a character seems to be one of the most you know sort of what we would associate with masculinity like one of the most sort of masculine characters but then I think the further we see into his character like the more that kind of gets complicated and that's part of what really is sort of causes the gender envy and then like how I think a lot of like trans mask specific reactions to Ed 
appreciate that like he his character and his presentation like do still sort of incorporate some things that are kind of more feminine coded Mm -hmm. and also like thinking about you know like I'm white so I can't necessarily speak to this personally but I have seen a lot of commentary on um you know Ed's sort of gender presentation over the course of the show um as specifically like a non-white masculinity Mm -hmm. and even the way that white viewers might code some of his you know presentation or or you know his outfits you know like when he wears the robe at the end of the show and he has like the hair down and everything like white viewers might code that as like quote-unquote feminine but actually you could look at it as like specifically a non-white masculinity as well so I think that yeah I think just like at you know the we see him at first and he's you know like obviously like the huge beard and the leather and the you know gruffness and the tough and these like you know this terrifying representation mm-hmm. of like blackbeard the pirate but then we see him like show softness and we see him cry in the bathtub and be comforted mm-hmm. by his feet and we see him you know obviously the when he shaves the beard at the end is like a big moment of him sort of letting go of of the Blackbeard persona. So I think that's all kind of part of it, like how his gender, it seems at first glance to be like kind of a stereotypically masculine thing, but then it gets unfolded more and more as something that's like very complicated and that complicates like assumptions of masculinity as well. And just like Taika is so gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know, like anything he does or anything he could possibly do or wear, I feel like is gender envy. <laughs> yeah, this is like a thing that I, I feel like one part of my fandom that I've always been sort of like weird about is like when I find the actors uh, <laughs> really like physically attractive, I'm always like, that's a weird thing to think and feel you should keep that on the down low but yeah I definitely am like yeah Taika Waititi is like amazing looking uh, and also yeah I'd, I'd be he plays back Blackbeard with such like a an intensity but also a depth and I, as much as I feel like Steed is could have uh, you know could have been such an asshole as a character because he is an aristocrat and he does have elements of being really bitchy, like when he causes the complete meltdown of all of the other aristocrats on the ship when they go to the fancy party by by revealing all of their secrets in front of them. He, there's such a tenderness to the way Reese Darby re, like sort of plays that character. And I think Taika takes a lot of tenderness to Ted, to, to Ted, to Ed as well. <laughs> I can't talk today. I'm just going to say things uh, that are incorrect. That's okay. But yeah, I, lo- I do love the way that he approaches that character. And yeah, it's interesting to sort of hear like the different depths of, of possibilities for masculinity that he kind of embodies and represents. And that's a good point in terms of thinking about like non-white masculinities as well being like a, a key thing that you don't necessarily see in any kind of positive manner in a lot of in a lot of media. It's kind of an interesting thing to hear about. This idea of like, the characteristic of like tenderness as a very gendered thing is is interesting in this show because if we think about the the cis women characters that we do see who would have stereotypically been the embodiment of tenderness um, we have mary who is a good mother but we don't she's not an especially tender person in Mm. what we see of her Um, and then we have spanish jackie who is (laughs) 
Um, yeah. One of the, I don't want to say villains, but um, characters in opposition to our heroes, um, who like is very much not- Yes, antagonist. Thank you. That's that's the right word for that thing. She is very much not any kind of embodiment of tenderness and actually like kills one of her own husbands so that he can't <laughs> be used as a pawn uh, or as like a hostage against her. So the the fact that tenderness is treated not as a like gendered thing so much as it is a like um it almost feels like getting to see tenderness from characters and between characters is a payoff for how engaged the story gets with them Mm -hmm. so like any character I think could be shown as like having a certain amount of tenderness I think even like Izzy Hands who's a real creep in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like has a real depth of feeling for Blackbeard and shows tenderness in his own weird way so it it's interesting that like when we see tenderness, it's kind of treated as an element of like a depth of a relationship rather than it being a specifically gendered thing that happens mm-hmm. um, because of characters, genders. That's I, I think that's actually interesting. I had never thought of, of Izzy as being tender and but I he is definitely he has very strong feelings for Blackbeard, but like a version of Blackbeard mm-hmm. that Ed is not. And he is intentionally sort of, I don't know, continuing to bring Ed towards this toxic realm, wants to keep him there in a way that I guess will be interesting to see in season two, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point, though. Like, tenderness is not based upon gender in the show so much as it is about the relationship between any sort of two or three or more characters and it's based a lot on their relationship with each other more so than anything else. So one of the things I've been thinking a lot with Izzy Hands, and I'm going to do this like awkward thing where I like explain trans issues to the trans people as the cis person. Um, <laughs> Please do. But, <laughs> let me help you get all this straightened out. Okay. Um, <laughs> now I've been, so I've been working on this letter writing campaign here in Oklahoma where we have a lot of anti-trans legislation in the pipeline right now. And I have been, um, looking at some of the research regarding regret after transition and detransitioning, which there's actually, we act like this is some kind of new thing, but there's a number of longitudinal studies out there. There's like a body of literature, a lot of which was done in Europe where they have had more progressive regulations toward trans health care in general, I think for a while. Mm. But so in looking at this, these like longitudinal studies regarding regret and detransitioning, first of all, like the choice to detransition is incredibly rare, but the primary factor they have seen in people who do decide to detransition is that they face some sort of um, peer pressure or um, some kind of obstacle because of friends and family who are unaccepting of their transition. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that a lot with Ed and Izzy, because Ed is in a situation where he is moving from one kind of masculinity into a different kind of masculinity. It's not, you know, a full like gender transition, but it is a transition of some type. And he has, um, a certain amount of support around him like when he comes back to the ship and the he wants to sing his song for the crew and the crew is really supportive and then they're all going to do a talent show together and it's great but this key figure from 
Ed's life is is placing so much pressure on him to not transition. Um, and I think that we actually kind of see Ed at the end of the last episode in season one detransitioning to a certain extent due to the peer pressure from Izzy Hands and even like Calico Jack, I think. Yeah. Um, who I was not expecting to have Will Arnett all of a sudden pop up and start whipping <laughs> bottles, but that's what he does apparently. But yeah, so that's one of the things I've been thinking about with Ed's characterization and his like character arc in the first season. Yeah, I think we see him sort of inhabit certain other masculinities in relation to both of those characters. Like I think with Calico Jack, he's sort of like the frat boy, like party boy Mm -hmm. um, that he sort of like kind of regresses into. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I think Izzy is a really interesting character. He's like very divisive in the fandom. (laughs) Um, But I, I think I'm really glad that he's there. I think the show would not be the same without him. I think he's really well played by Con O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never thought of that specific sort of like, I don't know, like deep transition framework. I see Izzy headcanon as trans all the time because he's short. <laughs> oh, he's a short king. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think Khan is even that short, but he's like filmed as being really small. But yeah, I've also seen Izzy and Ed talked about and I think Jenkins has also talked about this as like they're essentially like a divorcing couple like Mm -hmm. whether or not they were actually ever romantically or sexually involved like they're like going basically like on the precipice of a terrible divorce um and um they're they're kind of like actually a parallel between Steed and Mary in some ways in terms of this sort of need to let go but one of them Izzy just can't let go yeah yeah so I I hadn't thought about transitioning detransitioning as a framework although I do appreciate there is research on it and I do I I think it's really important for people to understand that a lot of a large percentage of people who do detransition it's it's largely due to incredible social pressures particularly from people who are otherwise central to your life and it's just really really difficult to just leave those people behind I don't think that's an unimaginable thing and people really need to understand that I think but I do think there is something interesting in terms of like the transformativeness like Ed is now sort of at a space where I feel like he's actually kind of kind of growing sort of developing in maturity in the sense that he's ready and willing to sort of stop hiding behind a certain sort of enactment or embodiment of masculinity that's really rough and and tough and violent you know and and we kind of get senses of that in a a bit like where we sort of feel like calico jack is so loud that he was kind of a someone that ed was able to glom onto and sort of hide behind by basically becoming like him when he's with him um, as a way to sort of hide any of the more complicated feelings and hide away from uh, the abuse of their previous captain. And then, you know, so now he's finally, he's away from Calico Jack. He's trying to get away from Izzy, I suppose, in certain ways. And I feel like he, he's finally ready to sort of be like, I don't, I don't like Blackbeard. I created Blackbeard as sort of like a way to work through stuff and survive. And I'm, I not only am I bored because I've, <laughs> I have been doing this too long, but also like, it seems to me 
you know, cause he, we learned that he's always so-called outsourced to the big job. He's no, he, aside from his father has been responsible for people's deaths, but has generally not directly killed them if he could avoid it. And, um, I feel like he's he's wanting to be more like Steed in that regard. Like I want to be more tender and open and uh, adventurous than I have otherwise been. So I feel like the transformative aspect of the show is, I, I think, but I, the way I think the showrunners have tended to talk about it is as a divorce on the one hand, as you point out, Elliot, but also as like a midlife crisis. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's kind of interesting. I don't like Izzy hands at all. So I was interested to see how many fans really sort of love Izzy. I guess we'll see what happens. I have seen the thing I have seen a lot on Twitter is people saying that Izzy Hands is just like the one actor, the one character rather who's in the wrong genre <laughs> on the show. He's like the only actual <laughs> pirate on the pirate show. <laughs> he's it. He's in the serious drama pirate show, and everyone else is in the the fun comedic pirate show. <laughs> so I do like that take. <laughs> I think the one final thing that I think is good for us to talk about is the queer representation in the show. So we've already been talking about this a lot, but I feel like, or maybe I just want to talk about like my love of the fact that like queerness has been made a non-issue in the show. Like it's not a problem in the show. And I, I think it would be remiss of us to not talk about the moment where Jim uh, is revealed to not be a mute uh <laughs> well a mute but also not revealed to be like a you know assigned male at birth um they've been I guess I don't know if I want to say revealed to be assigned female at birth because I don't know how you make that decision but I feel like that's the closest wording I have for like people being like ah oh, you're a woman but it's like well they're not a woman and they're not a man but that's like the closest word like language I have for that yeah so I, th- I want to kind of talk about that moment a little bit in the show because for me that was so it was like such a healing moment in the show sort of like obviously Jim is in disguise not only uh, mainly because um, they killed one of Spanish Jackie's husbands and was trying to sort of make sure that Spanish Jackie didn't kill them but I do really love the moment when they they finally sort of go out into the ocean and and cleanse themselves, perhaps spiritually and otherwise, and are found out by oh my god, what is that character's name? All I can think of is Nathan Lucy. Lucius. Lucius. <laughs> um, is found out by Lucius, and then on the ship. Well, first of all, I think everyone else on the ship finds out because of the Spanish ripping off. <laughs> ripping off Jim's nose and beard and everyone's screaming, which is a really uh, sort of funny moment. But yeah, the really interesting moments where they're like, so wait, you you were a woman this whole time? And Jim's like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. And it sort of ends up coming down to Jim just saying like, listen, you knew me as Jim before. Nothing has changed except I have a different nose <laughs> and no beard and I'm not mute. Uh, and that's it. So you can just keep calling me Jim. And everyone just kind of goes, yep. And then there's not even a discussion of pronouns. Just everyone just uses they, them pronouns from then on, including Jim's uh, is, is Nana. Nana, that's what it is. Yeah, the, the nun who taught Jim how to become an assassin. <laughs> Um, oh, that's another her. cis woman. The, yeah. the assassin nun. 
<laughs> I liked yeah. her a lot. <laughs> yeah. We have some very interesting women characters in the show for sure. But uh, yeah, just everyone just suddenly is it's a they them pronouns and no one makes a big deal out of it. No one questions it. There's there's just n nothing. It's a non-issue. And I feel like that for me was such an amazing moment because getting people to use your pronouns is impossible. I feel like uh, I, so my, like my colleagues do really well. Some of my students do others just don't, you know, but at least with students, I can be like, well, I don't really know you that well. And you, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um, family certainly doesn't very much. I would really love it if my parents would use my pronouns. So I think like it was just yeah. sort of this lovely moment to be like, yeah, everyone just like switched and it was no big deal. And that's how it should always be. So I feel like I talked about that for too long. I just wanted to <laughs> talk about that beautiful aspect of queer representation. Yeah. No, and, it's really and, great. Oh, I was going to say nobody made it weird about Jim and Alawande rooming together either. Like, yeah, they were, they just went on being roommates without any kind of like insinuations or ribald comments, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I I also love the relationship between Jim and Olawande and how, yeah, it's like represented as like just another of like the many queer relationships going on. But yeah, I also loved that sort of how Jim's, you know, presentation and identity and everything are just treated as a non-issue. It's also really wonderful to see kind of like, you know, like almost like utopian in a way, like in terms of like, oh, this would be like so, this would be so nice. And this is like really amazing and refreshing to see, you know, that Jim, like they don't have to have a big like coming out, you know, they don't have to sit down and explain anything or be like, you know, this is why you need to use these new pronouns now. And just the reactions of the entire rest of the crew like at first they're confused but then the second that Jim is like just keep calling me Jim like you know me as Jim whatever the moment when they just switch and they're like oh okay right sure like I always liked Jim like <laughs> it's really yeah it's great to see and that I feel like that also like kind of gave me like almost some hope at the time because and when I sort of watched it like I was thinking like oh no if I'm trans I'm gonna have to have this whole big new coming out and I'm gonna have to do it again because like I already came out as queer like 10 years ago and then we have to go like coming out rounds again and answer a lot of questions and defend my identity and mm -hmm. you know some of that like definitely did happen because like unfortunately we don't live in that, that world um, yeah. that where it's so easy but it was just refreshing to see that like it could be a possibility to imagine like oh what if you didn't have to like come out or explain yeah, I do. I do feel that so hard because I, it, I think particularly, well, it, it's, it, it's always sort of awkward, but I just remember like coming out as bisexual, you know, basically in like middle school officially and people just sort of being like, what? Like, that's not a thing. And, you know, of course this was like the late 90s or, you know, early 2000. And so bisexuality didn't exist uh, it exists more now. Now it's allowed to exist. But back then it was like, well, um, you know, men can be bisexual because they're just like, they're actually gay. So they're just like working up to that. And then um, women can't be because they're, they're just doing that to like 
I don't know, invite the male gaze in certain ways. And so it was, I feel like a lot of just confusion and then like the word, you know, pansexuality did not exist as a word or concept. And so like, I think there's been a lot of moments of just like, for me, like re coming out um, and then coming out as non-binary and sort of identifying under the trans umbrella has just been very confusing for everyone but me <laughs> who is not <laughs> under the same umbrella. You know, they're just kind of like, but what, why, why that? Like, what, why should it matter? What, you know, let's, let's talk about it. And also just a lot of like feeling like I'm being interrogated to sort of prove that I'm non-binary, prove that you don't have any gender, prove that you wear <laughs> dresses sometimes. Oh my God. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's a really weird, like actually fraught sort of series of like wait am I actually queer enough to be queer sort of weird stuff that I think I'm finally letting go of now that I'm 37 but I think <laughs> the show provides such a lovely like what if it were just like yeah okay like that's who you are cool moving on that would be amazing yeah I think in the show it's like queerness is basically the default so it's mm -hmm. not weird to anyone yeah. Or it's not something that needs to be explained or interrogated. Like, I think that, you know, the, I think Jenkins even said at some point, like, basically everyone is queer, like, on the ship. <laughs> um, even if they're not necessarily represented overtly as being so. It's like, everyone has the potential to be queer. So if it's, like, the default, then that's also something that, like, I've never really seen before. Yeah. So, I don't know, do we want to talk about, like, the Twitter fandom first or do we want to sort of talk about racism and then the fandom or sort of see where we how we go I don't know I think to me they're kind of like interlinked they're interlinked yeah that's true okay yeah so I guess I, I'll start with some things that I saw because I was sort of after our interview Elliot I was thinking about okay I actually went onto Twitter and I was just like our flag means death racism and I just put these two words together in a search to kind of see what came up I didn't find any like you had talked about sort of fan call outs and I didn't find that but what I did find were a number of tweets sort of about the show overall um, and a number of them were sort of like uh, either people finding out uh, after watching an episode or two that Steve Bonnet was a real person and a slave owner and then sort of being like I can't I can't get into the show um, or people sort of saying, I, I don't remember who particularly, but saying like if they wanted to make a fun pirate show, they, they could have changed the names uh, of Steed at least. Like they could have used a different name for this character. And it seems to me that like there's sort of two things going on. One, people wish that they hadn't chosen a slave owner when they're not going to address slavery at all in the show, which I think is a really interesting question we should talk about. And the other part of it is that they feel like Steed has been turned into sort of like a kind of a progressive queer hero in the show and by fans. And they feel really uncomfortable with the fact that it is based in an historical figure who was a slave owner. Um, so I guess I, I find that interesting. And I, I want to sort of present those questions to us like, what do we think, I guess, is the responsibility of show runners, show creators when it comes to even just some degree of basing in, in history? Like, should they have made, like, changed names and made a completely different character who is not Steed? 
what is their requirement in terms of dealing with Blackbeard as well, or even just dealing with pirates in the 18th century? I think all of those things are really deeply interconnected. But I found those really interesting. So I don't know, what are what are your guys' takes on that response from people who didn't end up really getting into the show or really wanting to watch it because of Steed in particular? Yeah, I'm like, I can sort of see on the surface how someone might think that or have that reaction but I think that like all of the everyone involved in the show has like actually been so intentional about like why they've done what they've done or I think you know even David Jenkins was really specific about like hiring a writer's room that was like a lot of writers of color Mm -hmm. you know mostly queer writers and I think a lot of the writers have talked about you know like that it's really nice to not have to you know incorporate like slavery or something into the show mm-hmm. um and i think you know no one pretends it's historically accurate and the the historical setting is kind of just like i don't know almost gimmick or something more than an actual like representation of historical people or events you know like Olawande wears crocs <laughs> so it's like <laughs> no one's pretending this is like historically accurate yeah so because this show is also very explicit about like it's using the history as sort of like uh, an interesting premise but not actually portraying history Mm. so I think the argument about like some kind of like erasure of history doesn't totally hold up in that context because it's not like what the show is trying to do or like what its heart is especially because like so many writers of color have been involved and have mm-hmm. you know said that it's also really nice to have um you know to to work on and, and to write a show um or to act in a show um where there are you know characters of color queer characters of color but they're not having to perform racial trauma they're having their own narratives and um you know the conflict is from in the show it isn't coming from that which is also you know that's what you know I think a lot of writers of color and actors of color like those are the roles that they get offered a lot of the time is sort of like perform your trauma for us like on screen Mm -hmm. so I think having a show where people are not asked to do that is also like really refreshing and important Um, but I can you know sort of see the critiques too um, in terms of like the why not change the name you know I don't think it would have sold you know uh or would have been picked up because I think like the whole sort of premise is this guy Steve Bonnet like this was a story like the most one of the most dramatic midlife crises that one could imagine and that must have been part of like the pitch you know that the creators made to to networks and stuff to get it to get it created so I don't know if they changed the names and they you know pretended that it, it was you know, not based on, you know, this, this real guy who did this, like, pretty unhinged thing to abandon his family and become a pirate. I don't know if it would have gotten picked up because it's part of sort of like the appeal or kind of like the hook almost. And then I think they would have had to keep Blackbeard because like such a, such a big character um, Mm. and making Steve some other random guy, but like keeping Blackbeard, Blackbeard. And then you would get into, you know, like the, the, you know, whole institution of piracy in real life had a lot of like racial dynamics it was implicated in like all of these like historical aspects of of racism at the time so it's kind of like changing steve's name wouldn't really do much if they were going to keep everything else the same anyway Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know. That's kind of my take. But I think that like, you know, having like a lot of intentionality over like why they're not doing these things is what really kind of like makes it. Because I think if they were like unintentional or were just sort of like bumbling around like Mm-hmm. about the representations of race or the cho- the choices not to, you know, represent certain aspects of historical racism. I think that would have gone over a lot. It could have been done really badly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was done well overall is my take. Yeah, I um I think kind of uh similarly to the way that like um race isn't uh historical racism isn't forced into the show the the threat of like gender-based violence also isn't forced into the show mm-hmm. and i can there there's like ways in which being freed of having to like adhere to the realities of gender-based violence or racial racially based violence mm-hmm. um does open up a lot of spaces to do other fun more interesting things I think it's I I'm always I'm always thinking about this element of like does changing the name actually have an impact or not and I've been thinking a lot lately about Hamilton the musical and the historical figure and the way that the musical has influenced public perception of the historical figure because Hamilton, the musical, is not necessarily intended to be an accurate historical representation of the Founding Fathers. It's intended to be primarily entertainment, but also, you know, to to mess with our perceptions of what the Founding Fathers were like in particular kinds of ways and how they interacted and that kind of thing. But it does mean that um, we have this like wave of positive feeling for Hamilton, the historical figure, because of the way he is portrayed in the musical that I personally do not feel is deserved of a man who didn't actually want the United States to be a democracy (laughs) Um, and had a lot of other Uh, I think, problematic positions on government and who also wasn't great on the whole slavery thing. So I guess I I can like empathize with the concerns that by keeping Steed Bonnet's name in this show, we are creating for a certain kind of audience who is maybe unaware of the historical background. Um, We're creating this like version of a person that isn't accurate at the same time this show is so ridiculous (laughs) um in the best way like it's so absurd that i'm not i'm not as worried i guess about people watching this show and thinking that that is what steed bonnet was because because well part of it too is we have this like more familiar character of blackbeard and that is not what blackbeard was so but it is like an interesting problem of like historical fiction in general like anytime we are going to create a story about the past do we have to hold to those historical realities or to what degree can we mess with it I guess and as somebody who like has written historical fiction and like historical fantasy in the past that's a real question you're asking yourself constantly is like what do I feel like I need to keep as the like truth of the matter and what do I feel like I can get away with messing with or what do I want to mess with for very deliberate reasons Um, and it sounds like in that writer's room they were making choices about what they wanted to mess with for very deliberate reasons yeah I so I was 
just trying to find one of the tweets that I saw and I, I can't find it now and I may never find it, um, unfortunately, but I was seeing a tweet by someone um, whose handle I don't remember. So I apologize for this, but I do remember, or at least I think I remember now I'm second guessing myself, which is just a treat I have, but it was a, a black man sort of talking about uh, making a comparison between our flag means death and Hamilton actually, and sort of talking about how like, you know, our flag means death has kind of a, a an intentional ahistoricity in it. And also that there are people of color on the writing team. And he was sort of pointing out how Hamilton was written by a non-Black man utilizing what he was sort of referring to as Black culture to like completely reimagine historical figures who developed a society where anti-Black racism was completely baked in and how these are two very different situations in terms of and genres and, and takes so yeah, I don't know. I, I I find it interesting because on the one hand, I feel like I think we do have a responsibility to think through what we're doing and which characters we choose to play with. On the other hand, I do feel like in this case, as, as Elliot has talked about and as you've talked about, it seems like the showrunners have been really careful to think through like what they're going to use and what they're not going to use. And I, I think I read an interview with David Jenkins recently where he said, we're not I'm not interested in having it be biographical because you know Blackbeard was a rapist and Steve Bonnet was a slave owner and I don't want to represent these actual people I was just sort of inspired by this kind of weird moment where an aristocratic man in the 18th century was like I'm gonna become a pirate and somehow became friends with Blackbeard who was um, a well-renowned and feared pirate so yeah, I, th I think it, it's an important question, I guess, in general for being careful about making shows. I think for me, my other take too is, first of all, I feel like the show, because of the writers and the actors and the showrunners, really does think really carefully about racism and they certainly address it in the show in some different ways. Like there's, there's an episode where, you know, Olawande and Black Pete, is it Black Pete? Oh, the, um, the Nigerian Prince scheme. No, 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 no. Well, yeah. that's amazing. It's the one yeah. where they get captured on the Island as they're out looking oh, yeah. for the, uh, I think it is Black Pete actually. Yeah. Uh, they get captured. They're looking for the, the uh, British soldiers that they somehow lost track of while they were on vacation after they ran to ground. And the native folks are just like giving Olawande a drink. And then they're like, uh, we can't let you go. Like, you know, shame on us. Uh, and so they sort of address colonialism and racism in that episode pretty directly. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it is a really important question, but I also feel like they also did make a, ch a choice not to sort of be like, let's make a show that's about racialized misery. We don't want to make yet another show that's just about like, let's watch and uh, invite people to, uh, I guess, dwell on sort of anti-Black violence, basically violence against Black bodies. And I think that there is actually, and, and as you pointed out, Stephanie, they're not bringing in, they're not dealing with the very real presence of gender-based violence either in this show in a way that would have been more more you know present historically and that is nice it's it's nice to not have to constantly deal with that I you can compare it against shows that aren't even historical in any way like Game of Thrones where they're pretending it's historical they're like well it was back in the day 
yeah, this is a made up world, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, a time period sort of loosely based on a real time period. And I feel like that has often gotten used, particularly in fantasy as like a way to say, well, that's why we have to have um, such horrific depictions of rape. And that's why we have to have such, you know, horrific depictions of, you know, anti-disabled, anti-Black, anti-people of color, or we just don't have any people of color because they didn't exist back then, which has also been thoroughly debunked um, by actual historians. But yeah, I I think it's an important question to think about in terms of developing media, but I also feel like at least with this particular show, I think they've been pretty careful in terms of the showrunners. Um, maybe in terms of the fandom, though, that's been more problematic uh, in terms of people making fan works and and racially coding them in some really problematic kind of ways. And maybe you can talk about that, Elliot, because while I'm sort of new to the fandom, I I haven't maybe seen enough of it to see to see the callouts of this kind of stuff or to see any any sort of pieces of artwork or otherwise that have followed in more sort of racializing tones so maybe you can talk a little bit about some of that controversy within the fandom itself yeah definitely um and yeah I should say you know like I'm not a I'm not a creator or like a big uh name in the fandom (laughs) by any means I'm really kind of like an observer who hangs out and tweets sometimes (laughs) so I I should say lurking is perfectly acceptable uh yeah I think I'm going to do my shout out to fansplaining right now um Elizabeth Minkle is is one of the showrunners of fansplaining and she has always described herself as a lurker um, whereas Flourish, Clink, the other showrunner, they have always been very active. And so I, I just want to say right now, like Lurker fans are very welcome here. Lurker fans are real hey. fans too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm just like, I'm too socially anxious to not be a Lurker. Yeah, I think, you know, some things I have seen are, you know, like in people sort of falling back on racist tropes and fan work, you know, like art of Ed that, you know, gets his like skin color dramatically wrong or does the same with, you know, other characters of color or that, you know, represent Ed, especially in, you know, very sort of like racist trope ways, you know, like a lot um, larger, more aggressive than he actually is, you know, like a lot representing him as like a lot larger than Steed when, you know, actually they're pretty similar in size, stuff like that. And then in terms of, you know, like writing, you know, I've also seen some stories and seen like, you know, some kind of call outs of fan fiction that also, you know, kind of fall back on similar like racialized dynamic you know, ones that kind of represent Ed as as having less power in the relationship or that, you know, in the show, they're really presented as like, Ed is the one who's like much more obviously um, bigger represent, bigger reputation. Deed is like, you know, rich in terms of like family money, generational wealth, but Ed is also represented as, you know, he's, he's doing fine. He's Blackbeard. He's like wealthy in his own um regard so I think there's been a lot of a lot of stories that kind of warp the dynamic between them or um you know represent Ed as poor or or something um in comparison to Steed who's like the wealthy almost white savior type figure 
So I think, you know, there's there's also been a lot of fan works that don't do this, but I think that, you know, it's telling that people sometimes fall back on these tropes, even though they're so not what's present in the actual show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we are coming up on our two hours of recording here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, why don't we... Why don't we bring things to a close by just sort of closing remarks? So obviously season two is happening at some point and um, I'm sure we all have very specific opinions about what we hope will happen. And maybe we can have another session after season two is over. Um, but for now, what are kind of our, our closing remarks, our final thoughts on our flag means death, our takeaways. Maybe we'll have you start Elliot. What, what's the thing you want to leave listeners with? when it comes to our flag means death. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I don't know. I'm just glad that you all invited me and I got to talk about <laughs> it um, for so long. I feel like I could keep going for like hours and hours <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's so great. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just really important like how much the show means to so many people and how like even you know it seemed like it wasn't easy to like get it renewed for season two and that the fan response had like a huge say in that so you know it, it says a lot that like shows like this that like are so queer um mm. and have you know all of these amazing queer characters and narratives and stuff but also don't treat the queerness as a problem i think it's really telling that it's hard to get shows like this made and like it's hard to get them renewed but like that people want them and people are like so desperate for them yeah so um i just hope that like our flag existing and and being in the world and hopefully getting multiple you know, additional seasons uh, will show people who like have power to make TV and to make media that like this stuff actually like should be in the world much more often. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot more stories like it that are like people are trying to get made but running into problems doing so. So I just hope that it'll be like some type of turning point in media and like everything will be more queer like forever now and like there won't be any yeah. straight media anymore here <laughs> <laughs> here and end to straight people <laughs> oh no um i let's see i i think the main thing i'm worried about right now is lucius i don't want lucius to be dead that's the main thing I want from season two, I think. Um, and I think I might have actually realized that Lucius might actually be my favorite character. I don't know why it took me so long to realize. But I also feel like I've been going around a lot lately being like, I'm really good at reading and writing. So please give me a job. Um, yeah. Which is triple threat. A lot. Yes. Threat. Double yeah. threat. That's me. But also like the way he's able to go around and, and help with other people's relationships and like I don't know. Um, anyway, I'm hoping Lucius isn't dead. I would also kind of love to see some more historical piratey figures, especially Anne Bonnie and Mary yes. Lee, who were two of the really famous women pirates. And they were really amazing and managed to like, I don't know, do all kinds of cool stuff. So I would love to see more historical piratey stuff with this weird ahistoricalness over them. Yeah, I mean, I, my takeaway is I just, I need more shows that are the gay agenda, um, just like I am. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I would love to see more of them. And also, I guess, as my final thought to listeners, watch Our Flag Means Death. 
because it'll make you trans. Um, and that's a great thing. So <laughs> if legislators in Oklahoma find out about this, there's gonna be some bills trying to ban our flag means death coming up next. <laughs> no, they'll just watch it and then they'll become trans and all of our problems <laughs> will go away. <laughs> um, that's my real hope for the world. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thanks, thank you so much, Elliot, for joining us today. Yes, thank you, Elliot. Um you. it's been amazing you, talking with you and yeah thanks for listening to our first episode of random fandom we will see you next time